we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. An ancient Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, wrote, change is the only constant in life. He also said, no man ever steps in the same river twice. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse always a beat ahead. According to a recent survey of 13,000 physicians, about one-fifth of doctors reported feeling depressed, and one-fourth of the depressed doctors were suffering from clinical or severe depression. And that depression wasn't due to a so-called normal grief event. Worse yet, 7% of the doctors surveyed said they had considered suicide. That's almost double that of the general population. Sadly, those surveys said they kept their feelings to themselves, fearing for negative impact on their careers. And just like so many other negative emotions in medicine and society in general, COVID made them worse. The overwork during the pandemic left its mark on healthcare professionals. Additionally, workplace violence in healthcare settings is higher than any other profession now. Three quarters of non fatal workplace violence injuries involved health workers and social work in 2020. One recent survey reported that 40% of healthcare workers had experienced on-the-job violence. I can certainly vouch for that when I guess I think I was a fourth-year medical student. I had a pool cue stuck up to my throat, and the um, person who did it thought they were so clever. They said, now you're behind the eight ball. Fortunately, I'm here today. This increasing intrusion of corporate entities into medicine, whether large health systems or private equity firms, buying up medical practices is also getting to people. The doctors have loss of control in the manner that they practice. And worse, when these private equity firms buy up the practices, they replace the people with lower cost employees. A lot of the physicians who are able to stay on, they just become cogs in the corporate machine. They're reduced to spending more and more hours working, but only 15 minutes with a patient. And guess what? When you only have 15 minutes, if that, with the patient, the quick answer is a prescription. This is a work situation that's in total contrariness to the oath of Hippocrates. And physicians who have spoken out against the short shrift given to patients have been fired. And for patients, patient privacy is becoming a thing of the past as more and more data is shared with third parties. Insurers are using artificial intelligence programs to deny valid claims. Things feel like they're in shambles. But our old buddy, Heraclitus, also wrote, out of strife comes harmony. 
So in spite of all the negative swirling around us, I believe good, compassionate medicine will prevail. And life is good. My guest and I will discuss his personal journey from total control over his years-long successful career to questioning whether things would ever be the same. Dr. Joel Strom has practiced general dentistry for more than 40 years and is the former president of the California State Dental Board. He has extensive leadership experience in all aspects of the dental profession, including education, regulation, professional leadership, clinical practice, and has been an expert witness. He's an adjunct professor at the Forsyth Institute in Boston and former chair of ethics in the practice of of dentistry at USC. And finally, he had a 12-year tenure on the California Science Center Board of Directors. Near and dear to my heart, Dr. Strom founded the Dr. Joseph Warren Institute, a nonprofit designed to educate and motivate healthcare professionals to become leaders in the political and public policy debate on healthcare reform. And if you're wondering who Dr. Joseph Warren is, he was a general in the Revolutionary War and died, I believe, on Bunker Hill, leading his troops. So, Welcome to the show, Dr. Strom. Hey, Marilyn, it's it's great to talk to you uh, 3,000 miles away from where you used to be. <laughs> well, I, st- I still am. I'm just, just doing a little visiting right now. So uh, ca- California is always my home. Born there. Loved it. It's getting awfully creepy now, but... Us Californians have to stick together. Well, so, no matter how far we are away from each other, we we can stick together, and I'm I'm glad to be here on your show. So, tell me a little about your dental practice, and you know how you got into dentistry, and what kind of dental practice did you have? Do you have? Yeah. Well, let's start by telling you, you that I absolutely abhorred my dentist as a child. He was a terrible guy. And the more I knew, the more I learned about dentistry, the more I realized that he was even more terrible than I thought when I was a five or six year old. So I didn't have a proclivity to become a dentist. That was not exactly on my on my list of future careers. But uh, while at USC being very not having much money, they had a mouth rinse study at USC and they gave you 50 bucks. So I went to the dental school and I I saw the instruments on the tray in a different light, more like artist tools, things like that. And um, I warmed to becoming a dentist. Maybe one day I'd be a a dentist that wouldn't scare kids out of their pants, you know? So uh, it kind of, that's the genesis of my uh, interest in dentistry. And I I found to be, it's been a wonderful career, good career choice. Uh, It's a blend of artistry and science and psychology uh, to be a really uh, solid healthcare professional, really of any type, you really have to be all those things. You know, you have to be an empath. You have to understand where the patient's coming from. And in dentistry, there was a little more definition to the treatments we would give. So, you know, a, you have a cavity, you remove the cavity, and generally the patient would respond in a in a predictable fashion, pretty much. Whereas in medicine, there's a lot more gray area sometimes because some people would respond to 
amoxicillin, but not erythromycin or something of that nature. So it's been a good career. I um, practiced for two years out of dental school in a clinic, like most young dentists do now, except the clinics are more corporate style clinics and they do get a lot of experience in dentistry, but um, not the type of dentistry they, they aspire to do when they get out of school or when they became a dentist in the first place. So um, I went back to school at, at Columbia. I got a postdoc in human nutrition and I wanted to research the connection between oral health and general health. At the time, that was kind of laughable that people could look at you like, you're, what are you talking about? And uh, I went from there, but um, I was there for two years and really got my start in the political climate because a senator, a, a, a congressman from Long Island, James Scheuer, he uh, came into the dental office I was working at and we started talking and the next thing I knew he invited me to Washington, D.C. to organize a congressional subcommittee hearing on health care reform. And that's kind of where I got my bug to get into the public policy world. So um, that's kind of the beginning of my career. And uh, I don't want to go on too long about it, but I do have a general practice. Uh, it's been a private practice for a very long time. And when we have time, we can talk about the private equity because it has now played a role in my in my practice, but in a way I never experienced, I never thought it would in a very positive light, actually. Well, that's good to hear that there's an upside to everything. Well, let's go on more about the dental practice. I just want to know what happened to dentistry when COVID hit. They seem to be hit the hardest because you're right there in people's mouths. And if there were germs to be had, they were right there with those patients. So what happened? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is it just stopped like everybody else. It was shut down. Um Many of us uh, didn't agree with that decision, but that's beside the point. You know, and when you own a business and you're the sole owner, you kind of have to follow the law or put yourself at great risk from employees being upset or uh, you know, filing OSHA complaints or HIPAA complaints or whatever it might be. And so, you know, you're basically coerced into shutting down your practice. What I did was I um I came in uh, on my own with no staff when a patient felt they had an emergency. And I just figured I am licensed to be a dentist and sitting at home because I'm scared of getting sick to me was not the way to go. So I did I did go in, into the office on a few occasions. And to this day, I really, really am uh, very happy I did that. The people were very thankful. Uh, one person would have had a, an emergency room visit to the, to the uh, local hospital. He was getting a Ludwig's angina or he's getting an infection down his throat because I'm an impacted wisdom tooth and I was able to get him referred to an oral surgeon. Um, a couple other people just had a broken front teeth and they didn't want to go to a family gathering that way. So it was great. And it was kind of fun to, to sneak around the police barricade because we actually had a police barricade on Beverly Drive where I practice. So the patient and I kind of snuck through the alley. It was kind of like I was a kid back in school, sneaking in late uh, past my bedtime. So uh, I made some kind of fun about it, but it was really bad. It was terrible, just like you imagine it was for doctors and hospitals or any other place and for society at large to be shuttered in for, for an extended amount of time. And it was very difficult to deal with that. But um, it made me question that if COVID was around since the end of 2019, something like that, people can argue when it really showed up or not. but. We worked with no extra PPE, no uh, 
air purifiers more than we had. And we work with people sometimes without a mask saying hello to people. And not, no dentist that I know got COVID. None, none but nobody did. Um, and then we shut down on March 17th, on March 17th around here. And uh, it was just like everybody was scared. Everybody was scared. So dentistry shut down. I tried to work when I could, um, avoiding any kind of problems with my staff. And owning, by the way, owning a practice and having staff uh, was fraught with difficulty because you had to either furlough people or fire them and you had to hire a labor lawyer to help you do that. It was just horrendous. It was really bad. <laughs> I can't tell you. It was the worst part of my career. Well, oh, so many people know that, both doctors and patients, with all this mess that happened with COVID. And then, of course, now we think back to it. And as you point out, the dentists didn't get COVID, and they're probably the most exposed of anybody. And, you know, what was it all for? We find out it was for nothing. And uh, th this is a good point for me to ask you a little about you know, the political work that you do, because to me, this whole COVID thing was the tip of the iceberg of political chicanery. So you got into politics and you're helping folks in healthcare try to work with people in Washington about healthcare policy. Well, how does that go? Does anybody ever pay any attention to doctors? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, wasn't it? Funny, funny, it's tragic, actually, that we were looked upon as heroes. Remember those days when all over the news and they're doing everybody's waving flags or whatever they were doing to show how they supported healthcare professionals um, as heroes, while the teachers unions, for example, were shut down and wouldn't come back to work until they were vaccinated, but were still considered essential workers. So it's it very interesting to me that that we were heroes until we opened our mouth, anybody opened their mouth. It's, I won't say we as a group, but many, many people were questioning how we could make clinical decisions on patients uh, through just a public health approach with through numbers, numbers that even if they were correct, um, you, that's not how you treat a patient, right? I mean, you don't, you, nobody walks into your office as an average patient and gets the average treatment. Everybody's different. And that's what I learned in school. And that's what the doctors I've worked with over the years believe that every individual patient is different. And we all bring different things to the table and different uh, physical ailments or, or strengths. Uh, my, for me, for an example, I have asthma and I have psoriatic arthritis and I have allergies. So I'm a very hyper immune kind of guy. And uh, the rules were if I had immune suppressants on board, like Cosentix, which I'm, which I'm on, and Singular, that I'm much more at risk for, for um, getting sick, you know, for getting COVID, right? But I just raised the question of, of my physician, who's very open-minded, by the way. Um, hey, what about this? My, my thought is that all this lung, uh, you know, the uh, overzealous lungs, uh, what's, uh, it's just, I'm missing the name again. Um, the COVID storm, the cytokine storm. Oh, cytokine storm. Uh -huh. Right. So I just asked the question, hey, I mean, I'm on a cytokine blocker. I'm, I'm taking Singular. So wouldn't that maybe help me not, not have that cytokine storm? 
maybe I get I get COVID and it actually helps me that I'm I'm asthmatic and I'm on medication. <laughs> and they were like scratching their heads. But God forbid if you you know you brought that up in public. And I watched my colleagues and friends, such as yourself and others, who really took it on the chin to say politely uh, for just raising questions like I did, for just asking questions, and that that was the biggest loss I think for all of us. Um, those of us who are here that didn't uh, perish from from COVID actually or with COVID on board. Um, it's the fact that we lost, we actually we've lost the respect in many ways of the public and our fight as healthcare professionals, as clinicians, um, that's, you know, we've become more of the bad guys, whereas the universities and the hospitals and the CDC and all of them, they become the all-knowing uh, uh, you know, Oz, the magnificent Oz behind the curtain. So that's that's hurtful. And people that um, that I've worked work work with and met, and I'm proud to say that way back in 2009, when I started meeting some of the folks such as yourself and others, a lot a lot of you guys are out there doing their thing. So many of whom never thought of even do, trying to do that. So, long story short, I guess is. Um, getting involved in politics, I feel a sense of accomplishment, even though I'm not that active right now, but um, I feel a sense of accomplishment that there's so many organizations out there, um, do no harm being one of them, where uh, there are doctors that are not afraid to speak out. And the ones that really can't speak out because that their whole careers are at risk and they have families, they can they know how to do it through other means, where they they can do it safely, where they're not putting their careers on the line. Like you might be able to, or I might be able to, because of our circumstances, we can actually speak our minds. Well, thank you for that. And uh, in a few minutes, we're going to speak our minds a little bit more and go down a little bit different path. But for right now, we're going to take a quick break and get back to the show. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Okay, before we left for our break, I said we were going to go down another little path, and I'm going to call this path kind of the Mike Tyson moment. Mike Tyson quite famously said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, you had a great plan on a lot of fronts, career, the political front, and then I guess you got punched in the mouth. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I got punched in the mouth. Um, 
I was walking home. I was doing some prehab for a little knee procedure I was going to have. And um, I stepped foot into a crosswalk and didn't see a car on a short, short turn. And he hit me as I was walking kind of just out of the path of the car. So um, I being visualized, I was just walking one way. The car is making a left turn. And I my left leg was just getting out of the path of the car on the driver's side. There was just just a split second more and I wouldn't have been hit at all. But I got hit the corner of the car. And uh, yeah, I ended up when I woke up, I was across the other side of the street. So I evidently was somehow moved and uh, broke my left leg, my left hand and my right coracoid bone, which actually a lot of physicians don't even know what bone that is. I never heard of it before, but it's on the front of your shoulder blade. And it kind of is the area where you, a lot of your arm muscles hook into the shoulder blade for, you know, to, to lock in and help your arm move. So I was kind of messed up, had a pretty bad concussion. And I was, uh, I had just told my wife, Holly, the night before, it was March 31st, uh, not March, I told her on March 30th, that I think we've gotten through this COVID thing. It was a terrible time. We just talked about how terrible it was for everybody, financially, mentally, all those things. And I said, I think we've gotten out of this COVID thing. <laughs> I think we've made it through somehow with ourselves intact. And the next night I got whacked by the car. So um, I ended up at the hospital overnight, uh, in trauma bay. Fortunately, I had no internal injuries, just the three broken bones. And then I had the head trauma, which I was soon to learn doesn't go away overnight. So that was a real uh, double, it was, it was a gut punch, a double gut punch, you know, from the pandemic and just allowing yourself to breathe for a minute and then get, get hit by a car. So uh, that was really tough. And, um, and it, you know, I, it's been two and a half years or so now, a little less than two and a half years. And it took about two years actually to feel somewhat like pretty much like myself again. Uh, on the mostly the mental side, the physical side, uh, as, as you know, you're a doc, you know, you just work at the physical rehab. And if you do it right and you're good at it and you're diligent, you, a lot of things will heal pretty well. The body's remarkable. Well, tell us about your mental journey. I mean, did you get depressed because you couldn't work? Was that it? Or do you really think it was the concussion and long-term effects from that? How, you know, how did you feel? Well, I, I think to the answer to your first question, I'm sure I was depressed because I was so close to selling my practice and, you know, moving on to do public policy and politics and go teach at school, whatever it was that I wanted to do. And I was alone in the office. I didn't have an associate at the time. So I'm sure I was depressed about not hitting those dreams and goals right then and there. But I, I think it showed up more as anxiety to me. And so I, I couldn't sleep at night. I was told by the docs that if you have a concussion, many times that's going to happen. You can't sleep. So I, I was laid, I laid in bed a lot at night or I'd sleep for an hour and get woken up. I didn't sleep more than two or three hours at a clip. It was like I just had a you know baby crying baby at home when I was much younger. It was just like having a kid at home, a baby at home, and not getting your sleep. So I think that contributed to my overall feeling of a, a little gloom and doom. Um, so I was hung up at home in the, you know basically the spring and summer months in California, but I was shivering all the time. So I had the fireplace going, and, and it was physically very demanding. But I it was mimicked. I. I think I was covering up the depression with anxiety and that was hard 
Um, I did my best. I, I went to the office three weeks later with casts on me and everything because I thought I was, I got scared for some reason of going back to the office. It was, it was kind of weird. I just, I was actually, I didn't want to go back to the office. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be seen like that. And I, and I just didn't want to do it. So I forced my, I told, I asked my wife to uh, get me to the office. So he's like almost demanding, get me to the office. So I, I walked into the office and it was one of those uh, just moments. I had to do it then. I couldn't avoid it. And I just said hello to everybody and I went home. And that helped me uh, get over some of my fear about going back to work. So it well, was. Uh, well, it's amazing how much our profession defines who we are. And boy, that's where I wish I were a psychiatrist. And you wonder, are you who you are without your profession? What happens when you don't have it? And even for that short while that you were incapacitated, it looked like a chunk of you is gone. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I'll tell you something that I felt was very sad was I was I was on the ground and I opened my eyes and I I looked up at the sky. I saw the clouds, a beautiful day out, and I could see these clouds and the blue sky. And um, for about, I don't, it could have been just a half a second, but I was thinking I was lying in the park just looking at heaven or something like that. And uh, then I realized, uh oh, something's not right, which then I noticed, you know, I, I couldn't move it. I could move this, but it hurt if I moved. And I saw this pool of blood on the left of my head. I could re see the cloud reflection. So it started dawning on me that something wasn't right. But the first thing I thought about, it wasn't, um, oh my God, I better call Holly or my daughter, or it wasn't that. It was, can I get to work tomorrow at seven? I had an early patient at seven and my mind went, right, can I get to work tomorrow? And I started checking out my limbs. <laughs> so my left leg, I tried to move it and it hurt like hell. That was the one, one of the, one, that was the leg that got broken. My right leg moved and it didn't hurt. So I went, oh, cool, maybe I can get to work. Then I tried to move my left hand, which is I'm left handed, by the way. And uh, it was like, holy crap, I can't get to work tomorrow. So I my wife had showed up and I said, can you call this doctor who was working for me? Please call Dr. Harkavy and see if she can come in tomorrow. That was my first word, first words out of my mouth, which, as you just asked the question, what happens if you didn't have your profession? I don't know. I know. But. All I can tell you is my first, my first words were, you know, uh, I get somebody to take care of the patients in the morning. That was my first thought, which I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent, Marilyn. I don't really know, but that's what came out of my mouth. Well, it's it's an interesting thing because you think obviously you love your family more than your job, but what it is about us that gets us so invested in work and and I why this matters so much is you see all these things happening in medical care. Den dentistry is not far behind what's happened in medicine. People used to become dentists over doctors sometimes. One, they liked working with their hands, too, because there was more autonomy. It hadn't been taken oh, yeah. over by the bureaucracy the way medicine had. But we're so invested in it that it's beyond just somewhere to go every day and, and make a living that it's, it's just incorporated in your cells. And, uh, and, and so that's what makes it so difficult when we see 
um, corporate entities coming in and, and kind of insinuating themselves into the practice of medicine, and worse, the government insinuating itself into the practice of medicine. And, you know, Big Brother is definitely in the exam room. And so it's almost like it's in your body as well when they intrude in your practice. It's it's getting to your core. It's getting to your soul. And it okay. could be, you know, one of the reasons, you know, one of the reasons I talked about that those horrible statistics on depression, so many and things feed into it. But a lot of it is just you put so much time and effort into your profession, and then to see it taken out from under you, you had it it, it magnified by this accident. And lots of doctors every day, they don't have something as, as dramatic as an accident. But it's it's like a, a woodpecker just pecking away at your life. Yeah, well, I came in. I mean, when I told you how the, the night before, I told my wife how I think we made it through. I, I we might have made it through, but honestly, I was I was angry before the accident. I was I, mean, I was trying to celebrate the fact that God, I had a really good month at the office, and people are coming back, and I feel pretty good. You know, all those types of things. But in actuality, I was I was angry. Like the, when I first started the nonprofit, it was because I heard my doctor friends get so angry all the time. And I had been involved in politics before. I had been on the state board. I ran a presidential campaign in 2000 as a volunteer. So I did that. I was working on other things where I was involved in policy. I was actively doing something. And I firmly believe that you, you get less angry when you're doing something, when you're trying to do something about it, even if you lose, even if you lose the battle, you at least can look yourself in the mirror and say, "Hey, I was in the battle. I was in the parade. I wasn't. A, I wasn't a follow, I wasn't watching the parade for, on, on TV. Right? You're in the rose parade. You're watching it. And so there's a certain self sense of self worth when you're fighting the battle, when you're in there debating. And so um, over the years, um, you know, it just got a little tiring running the nonprofit by myself and, and quiet in the background. And so I wasn't as active. And then this this hit and I became one of those doctors that I met a long time ago. Well, you know, some of the names, you know, people, you know, that were so angry. And I just over time, I developed this hostility and anger for third parties telling me what to do in the office, because, as you said, dentists had a lot of autonomy, more so than most physicians. And it was it was remarkably um painful to get every day a note from the city or the county or the state or the CDC. And they all didn't agree with each other either. Like you have to go get sneeze guards or you have to wear a 95. Oh no, you don't have to wear a 95s or you have to get a certain level of, of uh, air purification or you have to have people stand six feet apart. All these things slowly just wear you down. And when you have a lot, a lot of autonomy, and you believe you get, you're treating your patients in a very safe manner, the safest possible manner, because you know your patients best and you know your profession best. When you have a third party, I don't really care if it's the insurance company or the government, it, it, it doesn't matter. It just, they're telling you how to run your life and they're putting you at legal jeopardy, emotional jeopardy, and your patients in jeopardy. And so I came into that car accident, I would say very angry. <laughs> I was an angry dentist. And uh, so, I think the car accident, uh, 
you know, took the anger away for a minute or two or for months, you know, because I had other things to worry about. But that's how I feel now. Again, I'm, I'm I got to get back involved. And now that I'm feeling better, it's time to go get back in the saddle and and try to be part of that, you know, the parade of doctors and healthcare professionals who want to regain our autonomy. Well, uh, believe me, we're all glad to have you back. Uh, that how I met Dr. Strom was because of political activism and trying to pull doctors kind of out of the work shell and into the public square. And I think more and more doctors, I always find something good to, that came out of COVID, that it brought doctors out of their shell and made them speak up and say, wait a minute, hold the phone here. The government had it all wrong. And I'm not talking about whether you believe in the vaccination or not the vaccination, but some of these public health measures like the schools where they were beholden to the unions and not the science, the revered science. And it was pretty sickening. So I think it got people going, just like with the schools uh, and all this drag queen stuff that got parents going. So sometimes that anger you talked about is necessary to get people out and their mouths open. Yeah, you know, and that the key is how to how the role I think I've like I have liked to play in the past, and it seems like that's what you do as well, is you not channel that anger to something productive. You know, I look at people out there on the streets with these protest marches and people that are not even until the until the virus, until March 17th, let's say, nobody out there knew what an N95 mask was or a level one mask or, or um, MERV 17 filters or mRNA viruses, right? I mean, it was the average person never heard of those things before. Um, and all of a sudden they're out on the streets angry with somebody, it didn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. There's angry people screaming about how you have to wear a mask. And I, I always say, when did you get your dental, your met your dental degree or your medical degree? I mean, it must have gotten a, gone to school overnight and got your degree because everybody knew what was right or wrong based upon, I don't know, a feeling or the news, you know? And um, so channeling the anger into a productive movement or a productive organization or creating CoFix RX, you know, I mean, whatever it might be, uh, that's, that's the mark of a leader to me and uh, is taking that anger and, and moving it in a direction. And each of us have a different uh, uh, talent to do that. You know, some people are moving the needle, but they're more active and like to be on television. Some people are more on the chemical side and develop nose sprays. Other people are in the political world. And in our professions, medical, dental, pharmacy, all those, we have a lot of smart people and they've been marginalized or allowed themselves to be marginalized. So. I agree with you that this is a, a, a moment in time when if we can somehow get back together and figure out a productive way to to get us back to get back some of our autonomy. I'm, I'm not that Pollyannish. I think that a lot of our autonomy, I don't see it coming back in, in my practice lifetime. I mean, I'm almost 70. So but um, I think the the the, uh, the way 
if we find ways to maintain our autonomy, that's what I want to work on the most. Explaining to young doctors uh, and dentists, I'm doing some lectures right now about that, about how um, autonomy is the one ethical, classical ethic term, ethics term that has to guide the other. It's the master cylinder of the others. Um, you can't really do good and not do no harm if you don't have your autonomy. And so I've been talking about ways of practice in the 21st century. How do you how do you navigate that? And you know, the best way to me is if you're in a system that you don't have your own autonomy, you've got to figure out a way out of it or around it if you want to have a lot of practice life that's productive and safe for your patients and beneficial for them. Well, you said it all, and so many people feel that way, and I hope people get out and do something about it. When we come back from the break, I want to explore a little. You were talking about people out in the street screaming about wearing masks. I had somebody yell at my husband, a little child. He was probably four years old and said, Mommy, Mommy, bad man, no mask. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's happened? And I'd like to kind of talk about what's going on culturally and what happened to us and whether it was COVID, whether we were going down a path and COVID tipped us over the edge. So we'll get into that after the break. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Okay, we are back. When you were talking about the P 
people in the street, you know, yelling about masking and being mad because they saw you out there in the street in the store, you were out doing something. I just thought, when did people get so uncivil? What do you think has happened to humanity? And we, and, and we have this whole thing where everybody's into politically correct words and all this, where they really care more about the harmful language than actual physical harm to people. Things have gotten wild. What do you think? Yeah, I know it's not a very scientific term, but it's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. I mean, I don't know what to say. Um, I don't think it, you know, it's easy for people to start saying, oh, like they, people who didn't like Donald Trump and then still don't. Um, oh, it all started with Trump. You know, Trump, Trump created this atmosphere and all. But I remember um, back in 1989, I think I officially became a racist in 1989. And the way I knew that was that I had a lot of friends and high school and college and I, I had a interracial relationship as well in, in the early 70s when it, that was very taboo. I mean, I, I was clearly somebody who didn't really see color in people at all. It didn't matter to me. And so I had all these friends that felt the same way. And, you know, society at the time was so much less uh, tolerant than it is or with regard to those issues. Uh, today, there's a lot more uh, amazing changes have happened, but people don't see it. But in the, when I changed to go ahead and support Pete Wilson for governor in 1989, I began getting hate stuff, hate, not emails at the time, but people would not, they wouldn't be my friend anymore. Uh, I got called names in, in synagogue. It, it was just remarkable that there was, that I actually experienced people hating me because I was supporting Pete Wilson. I mean, I don't think people think of, Governor Wilson as being the most right-wing crazy fanatic. At least I don't think think of him well, that way. Well, it's it's kind of funny. My mother actually worked in the mayor's office in San Diego when he was down there. And uh what was interesting to me, I remember once mother pointed out where he lived and it was a very modest neighborhood, modest condo. And I thought just what you're saying, he was hardly a right-wing crazy. He was actually a pretty moderate guy. In fact, he used to get in big in, in the Republican Party in California. If you supported Pete Wilson, then you were a rhino, you know, the Republican name-only crowd. And he was not liked at all by the conservatives in, in California. But be that as it may, um, I've been asked to talk about things like uh, hatred in the age of Donald Trump at synagogues, things like that. And I first tell everybody, you know, this is not new. It's just not new. It's something that's been going on in our society for many years, probably a couple of generations at least, of people who aren't educated enough to appreciate uh, what goes into running a government, to understand civics, to understand that government policy has to be kind of one size fits all almost always. So you're taking, you're making policy, especially at the national level, uh, for everybody in the whole country, no matter no matter who you are or what your circumstances are. And so as people get less educated, this is my thought, that you're getting less educated, so therefore they feel less empowered to do anything. And over time, the anger gets worse because you feel like the world is happening to you and you're powerless to change it. And I think that's part of the issue. And I'm, I'm trying to be very charitable. Other people are getting fan and the social media that's come out. We've talked about this. It's nothing new. 
where you're able to transmit a message in 10, in 10 seconds to a million people and, you know, stoke the anger and the hatred. Um, it's, it's a scary thought. So during pan the pandemic, I think people who felt their rights were being taken away kind of decided they're going to fight back. And, um, and I think there were a lot of demonstrations that were in response to years and years of, of the other side, the more pro, um, let's say pro uh, government side, big government side. Um, they went unabated for many years. Maybe the, uh, there are a couple movements there for a little bit. And some of the Tea Party folks, you know, that were successful in regaining Congress, they spoke out and they were not unruly though. Uh, but today's world is getting hard to, to have people, even like you and me, to not get a little unruly. <laughs> I don't mean we go out and physically harm anybody, but it's really hard to sit there and in your house and or your office and try to think of a productive thing to do when you're just seething with um, anger that some government officials telling you to shut your practice down and you have to do that. So well, it, it's not it's, new. I think it's not new. Uh, well, that's interesting, you know, and I think a lot of times you think back, everything always seems worse right when it's happening, but you think back that this has been brewing for a while. One of the things that really bothers me, and, you know, we're in Los Angeles where it seems to be the new sport of raging through department stores and big mobs and stealing all the high-end stuff. And mm. nobody wants to go out anymore. I don't want to go out. And I remember during the pandemic, I frankly, I hated ordering from Amazon. I didn't want to feed the beast, but they didn't let you go to a store. And now you can go to a store and they have these roving packs of of burglars or thieves. And because of the California law, if you single person only steals only $950, it's a misdemeanor and they won't go to jail. So people are going wild in that regard. Well, it's, uh, yeah. And, and you also get more angry. I mean, I'm, as a, as a homeowner taxpayer, um, and just want to live a peaceful life and help people with their teeth and maybe advise a nonprofit and maybe just go out running at the park and raise your, your kids. You, you're, there's a lot of hostility here. My neighbors are mostly Democrats. Um, when they shut the schools down, a lot of them were really pissed off about that. Sorry, angry about that. <laughs> um, and they, they realized that things I had mentioned in, in passing were not that crazy that I, that they were teaching some unusual things in school and that they were allowing the kids to, they, 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 and I didn't want the parents to even watch what they're teaching in school. And there was a big backlash. You wouldn't really feel it here in California because the teachers unions are so strong here and they were managed to get private schools shut down too. Um, really very angering to see that they were out of school basically for a year and a half and got a raise in the process <laughs> and now one another raise because it's so hard, the stress of teaching kids after they shut down everything <laughs> is too difficult but um the anger on the side of the uh on the on the side of people all over the place is now being raised um i just hope people can talk to their neighbors maybe get talk to people they know i i think the worst thing we've lost in, in all of this is the inability over the past let's say 10 years to, to persuade friends or to be open to hear another point of view. 
And if that continues to me, I don't mean to be so negative, but I don't see any other future down the road that otherwise than this country separates because uh, the people in California who don't want that tend to move out. And the people that want to come to California for other reasons, they come to California. And over time, it just feels like we're separating. So the worst thing for me is people who say, uh, the, the, the worst path to take is saying, you know, I just can't talk to Marilyn about politics, but we go to Thanksgiving every, every year together. So we'll just go to Thanksgiving and we'll leave it out. We won't talk politics, right? It seems like a very good idea to keep the peace, but it's like the American Revolution or any other, any other, or the Civil War. If you don't talk about things that really matter to you with somebody who you disagree with, then eventually it comes out in human relationships and government, right? It just, it's going to come out somehow. And I think that's the future if we can't learn to talk to each other and show some respect, even to people that you vehemently uh, with whom you disagree. Well, I wonder if I, I don't know because everybody's not on social media, but if social media has made that worse because you're, even though you've got a name, a handle, it's quasi anonymous and you can say something mean or cruel. And I remember there was a book called Taking the War Out of Words. And it was just telling you how to talk to people just in everyday conversation and, and having conversations where you don't say it in the negative, like you don't say, why don't you do this, that you say it in the positive, would you do this? And, you know, little things like that, that help you to be more positive. And now being negative doesn't have any consequences. And it hasn't for quite a while. I, I, I remember when those programs came out for emails, because people would sit down, write an angry email and hit the send button. And there it yeah. goes out there. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what did I just say? And who did I just send it to? Uh, and, you know, so then they kind of yeah. made it where they had the button where you had to think twice before you sent it. But it, and when did email, that was what, 1990s, early 90s, that whether that's what made things start to change, it was quickly, you just get off your chest and say it however you wanted to say it and not think about how the other person would feel when they see your words or hear your words. Yeah, and, and reading them too is difficult because it's, it's hard. I mean, a lot of people just most people don't, are not great writers. I'll say most of us are not supreme writers. We know how to write, but you know, we if you don't put a comma somewhere or you don't have a happy face somewhere, they people will take it as you're like you're really angry. You're not angry at all. Maybe you just said it in a way that sounded angry. So it, it foments. It just it creates an, an environment where you know you just, they just figure you're angry. Um, for me, I, I actually stopped emailing a couple people. I've always had pride in myself that I was able to let somebody come at me with all these name calling stuff. And I would ask them questions, you know, I just ask questions. And, um, and finally, when Trump came around 2016, I don't know, after 25, seven years of, of being a battering ram and trying to be respectful and ask questions and let myself have being a punching bag. I just, I lost, I didn't have the ability anymore to do that. So I, I took myself out of the equation. At the end of the day, I found myself being more angry and more depressed over it. So 
it's part of the reason I want to get back and at least figure out a way to articulate my thoughts, maybe convince one person at a time of a couple things, you know, over the years, uh, there are things that are so obvious. You ask people, but after uh, 9-11, for example, I had been going to synagogues talking about Al-Qaeda during the 90s. And instead of engaging in discussion, people call me names like Islamophobic and hateful, and it's not being Jewish to be to be open to new ideas. And um, I uh, and then it happened. 9/11 happened. I didn't predict 9/11. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I knew 9/11 was going to happen. But when Al Qaeda actually did that, and our friend Osama bin Laden was doing that, um, people came to me and they say, "Oh my God, you're right." There was a study in Georgia many moons ago now. It was when Bush and Kerry were running against each other. And they uh, told people, they were divided into groups, people who were pro-Bush, pro-Kerry. They told people, quote unquote, bad things that had happened. And they said, well, who do you think did it? And they said Bush, for the most part, even though they were things done by Kerry, and then good things like giving money to historically black colleges and various other things that President Bush had done, they attributed to Kerry. And when they were told who the correct person was and came back a couple days later, many people still attributed to the person that they just happened to like. So it was telling us facts no longer mattered. Yeah, I mean, it's it's come to that. And but I do think the underpinning of that as well as we've de-emphasized or gotten rid of, at least in California, any uh, teaching our kids anything about uh, civics and the difference between a, a, de- a democracy and a republic and those types of things. And at least even if you don't agree with what comes out of the Congress or out of the presidency, at least you you understand the system. And generally, it's not because a certain person or political party hates you. It's that they have a different approach to how they want to solve a problem. I think we all want most of us want to kind of sort of have live in a peaceful world and a healthful world. It just said in today's world, you know, one size just sees the answers being bigger, bigger, bigger government without any understanding that the bigger the government gets, the fewer liberties you have. It just, there's no way around that. And, um, and you know, you're taking from one person, giving to the other. And the people that hate government on the other side, they're really far over on the other side, they don't want any government for anything. And that doesn't work either, right? You got to have some, at least in my opinion, you got to have some form of government. And all the government's supposed to do in my mind generally is do number one lighthouse mission, which is to keep us safe. (laughs) I mean, that's, which is, you know, sadly laughable when you look at the train wrecks and the near car uh, airplane crashes and what happened in Maui and the list goes on and how the Affordable Care Act gave you less care for more money (laughs) and (laughs) they did the opposite and how wearing masks and closing and shutting down the economy did the opposite. So obviously I, I stand on the side of a smaller government and a smaller government footprint in my life, obviously. Um, but the two sides, there's no way people can see any kind of way to co- co- cooperate there. And right now, I mean, we're, we look like we look like we're destined to have President Biden run against President Trump. <laughs> you sit there and I can understand why people are going, uh, wait a minute, didn't we have this before? And 
Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm babbling. I'm sorry. Basically, <laughs> bottom, bottom line is bottom line is that I think people are not educated anymore enough to understand the system, and because they don't understand the system, they can't. They don't. They feel powerless to do anything about it, and that's why you get angry. That that's part of the reason everybody's angry. Well. I think you've touched on a lot of points that we can kind of feel. And I think it's good for us to kind of look at ourselves and say, do we have a good reason to be angry? Are we just venting? And is there something positive we can do with those frustrated type emotions? This has been a great conversation. And I want to, there's so many things that we've talked about and I'd like to talk about again. So I will invite you back to the show if you say you will come back. Oh, of course. And then I, I want so I can have a little moment to talk to you about the private equity, well, a weird wrinkle I never expected. So I can talk about that next time. Okay, boy, the hour goes by so fast. I just want to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I will talk to you soon. And we'll talk again. Thank you very much, Marilyn, and to everybody else listening, keep up fighting for you what you believe in. Thank everybody, every single one of you for listening to the show. We love it. We love hearing from you. You know, we have our feature where you can send in emails with questions for the host or the guest, and we will get an answer back to you. First names are just fine on the email. So take advantage of that. We have a brand new feature, our AmericaOutloud.shop. This is our shopping site. It's got books written by the folks who've come on the show um, and various other books of interest. It's got the products we talk about, products from the wellness company, Cofix, Healthy Cell. And um, the best part is we keep it so simple here. We have a discount code called OUTLOUD. You pop that in, get a discount on some of these products. So give it a try. Take a peek and you might find something. I already have used it and it's great. It's easy and uh, very user-friendly, of course. So thanks again for listening. And whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. And until next week, Say it loud, I'm free and I'm proud.